Hello and welcome to the Factory Founder Podcast. My name is George Arnold. I'm the Strategic Growth Lead at Founders Factory Africa. On today's episode, I am delighted to welcome Iftikhar Sheikh, co-founder of Vitruvian MD, who joins us in London today on the Factory Founder Podcast. Welcome, Ify. How are you? Going very well. Unfortunately, London summer, so it's quite grey and rainy outside, but thank you very much for having me here. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to bring some South African sunshine and warmth to us, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sadly, well, no. Can't do miracles. <laughs> you can do a lot of other things, and we're going to deep that's dive right, into that on right, the Vitruvian right. MD side, but uh, weather miracles, not yet, not anyway. Yet. Right, without further ado, let's get straight into all things Vitruvian MD. I'm really keen to deep dive into getting a little bit of a, a, a really good understanding of the business over the, the over this discussion. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to talk about that. Before we get into your journey and what took you to being a co-founder of Etruvian MT, let's actually just get an understanding to the business and the product itself. So like when you're engaging with a potential partner, investor or customer, and I imagine that the sort of definition varies on who that sort of other party is, how do you explain Vitruvian MD to them if they'd never heard of you guys? Vitruvian MD is a medical technology company that combines biomedical engineering and state-of-the-art artificial intelligence. Really the purpose and the goal of making high-quality diagnostics more accessible to all people, right? And, and at our essence, that's what we do. We've been focused very much in the microscopy space and specifically within pathology. And, you know, as we'll, you know, obviously cover in this conversation, you'll understand like how we kind of got to what we're doing. But we segment, I'd say, two broad fields. The one in pathology is saving lives. And the other side of diagnostics is actually in creating life, which is something Mm. we're very, very excited about. Let's unpick some of those products Mm. that you're working on and just give a little bit more of a deep dive and an understanding to the different product lines that you guys are working on across the board. Because... From seeing your journey from the start, right, to what you're working on now, there seems to be a lot of evolution around that and new products have rolled out. Some have worked, some have really, really worked, which is really exciting to see. But we'd love to just unpick those in a a little more detail. So let's go start off, you know, with the start of of Retrieving MD, right? Mm. I mean, before we started up the company, I was in investment banking. So my co-founder, Frando Lin, and our third co-founder, he was actually a professor at a university. And, you know, we had actually formed our friendship and met back in the university days. And I was studying actuarial science at the time. Frano was in actuarial science. Byron actually also actuarial science. But I think fortunately for him, he, he decided that, you know, he was more into the academic side and the mathematics and, and great. And he, he went down that path. But we maintained our friendship and Frando and I always said that, look, we always had this ambition deep inside to start up a business, you know, and we, we in our minds, we had this kind of line in the sand at which stage we'd want to do this. And investment banking was a great career to have because it exposed us to so many different fields, so many different types of entrepreneurs and really sharpened one part of business thinking which is like running a process, you know, capital raising, engaging with high level C, uh, C-level executives. And, um, you know, that journey took us to a point where, you know, this whole time we were thinking, what is it that we'd want to start up? We've got great careers. So whatever we do needs to be massively scalable Mm. and worth taking a risk to move from a career that we really, really enjoyed, actually, you know, and we were good at. And we were fortunate to work in a phenomenal company. And so when we looked at the problem, you know, you break it down and think, okay, of all these different spaces in business, what is the one that's super impactful? It needs to meet a few different metrics for us. And that is, is it scalable? Is there a massive need for this thing? Is there a massive pain point for it? And is the market so big that if we capture just a small little piece, we'd be able to actually build a real business, a meaningful business out of this. And medicine seemed to be that that space, right? And fortunately, you know, in our time in investment banking also looked at various types of medical companies and two things happened. One, in that process of actually working, we realized that there was a shortage of medical skills in South Africa. And, you know, a little bit more research, you realize that that's a problem actually globally and exacerbated in the emerging markets. But then something else happened where, you know, I lost my grandmother and I lost her through cancer. 
But prior to her passing away, you know, it must have been a period of about seven years or so where she was constantly going for scans. And in all of those scans, no doctor picked up anything. Now, when they did find it out, it was actually too late for her. And so that caused me to ask this question to myself. Well, there's a severe skill shortage. Does it mean that skills are leaving or maybe there's overworked doctors who are not being able to pick up certain things? In the space, humans have a limitation. You're only as good as, you know, what you actually get exposed to. So maybe there's a there's a tool or there's something that we could develop that could assist a doctor in maybe just picking out those finer things, right? And would say that it started to, to push my mind into this world where I thought, you know, the interaction, a human is really good at something, a machine is really good at something else, which is like the regular pattern recognition. But if you combine these two, the interaction effects will give you something that's a lot more powerful. And, you know, that deep fascination in that actually led me to do my master's in computer science focused in artificial intelligence. Mm. And yeah, that started off this this journey of actually going down the AI route to to build up our tech. And then, I mean, to build on... on and on, and you guys, hmm. sorry to jump in there, but you guys were thinking when you went to go do the, your, your master's in AI, you were thinking at sort of the end of that, like, we're going to be setting up what was Vitruvian MD as an idea, or was it you were going there and then Vitruvian came out of that as a, as a sort of like... So in fact, prior to doing my master's, I was really thinking about an idea that was, let's say, a precursor to mm. Vitruvian MD. And Fernando and I used to have these these sessions. So every week we'll meet for tea and we'll go through various different ideas that we thought about and we'll shortlist the things that we thought made sense. And what we always came down to was this medical space, right? Mm. And as I was mentioning, you know, I was deeply fascinated by it. And I'm a very first principle think I want to get down to nuts and bolts, not think about high level. And, you know, I also did want to, progress my studies and and, and thinking I, I really wanted to go back into that so it, it, it just was the right time and, and and thinking for that but when I went into my 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 studies Vitruvian was an early concept I think just very high level we didn't have a name at the stage and as I progressed through the masters though then it started to take take a lot more shape and in fact my final thesis was based on medical field where I worked on, you know, some type of compression networks for, to allow medical images to be transmitted quite easily in low bandwidth networks, which, you know, it all kind of feeds in together. I find it a really interesting journey, right, where you have something that hits you personally in your personal life and that and, and you obviously from your work aspects that you were doing at, in investment banking as well, you're getting a, an understanding to what's missing in the, in the in the ecosystem and sort of that aligns nicely together to go and do the postgrad and then to go and set up a new business. Really cool. One thing I, I'm curious about, though, is you had said you always wanted to be a founder. Why? I wouldn't say I always wanted to be a founder because, you know, if I take it back to my roots, I didn't know what a founder was. True. Right. And I really want to give credit to my to my late grandmother because, you know, at the time when I was a young child, she she was always, you know, in some type of business. You know, I mean she she always had a small business. She she ran something in uh, in town. It was just really a, a small takeaway. But I got exposed to that world very early, right? Mm. And as a, as a young child, I got taken to, I was in town. I, I used to do the, the cashing up for, for my grandmother. I used to help with pricing, you know, stock control, all of these things. So I got a, an understanding at least from a young age. And actually that made me really like business, you mm. know, from the interaction of people, you know, the ma- making money, trying to find a product that you put into the market. But of course, I wasn't really interested in you know, such non-scalable businesses, right? So that journey, it started a long, long time ago, kind of developing what would become, you know, a, a tech founder later on. Yeah, so the goal was always to to go into business, to try and emulate my grandmother in some way, but in a more scalable way. And then that led to a whole series of decisions, right? Where various small businesses that I got involved in at an early age, you know, studying actuarial science, you know, which... Some people might think, oh, that's a very risk averse, you know, kind of degree and career to go down. But in fact, you know, qualifying as an actuary, the journey prepares you so well for business because business is all about risk taking. It's all about understanding risk. And the best part of the training is as an actuary, it allows you and it trains you. It really refines this first principles thinking where you can take a very complicated situation and 
work backwards to to the first principles, the building blocks of things to be able to solve a problem. And if you think about any business, a business is actually, you know, created to solve type of, some type of problem, to solve some type of problem. And what you need to be able to do is start off with a problem, work backwards. And that's exactly what we did in the health space, right? And I mean, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking ahead here, but I mean, you asked me about my career you know, and I was telling you about uh, investment banking a little bit, right? But you think a lot of people often ask me, how did you go from investment banking to the medical field, Yeah. right? And, you know, in fact, when you see a problem, if you approach a problem from a first principles point of view, then you can actually solve any problem in any field, mm. right? And I also noticed that from my, my mates who are still actuaries, they work in so many various different types of fields, maybe not necessarily as actuaries, but the thinking kind of flows through them. And the same with engineers, right? It's that first principles thinking. So that's where it led to. I wouldn't say I wanted to be a founder as such, but definitely always in business and building a, co a company. And I suppose as this word became so popular, well... I became a founder. Super interesting. And yeah, shout out to Actuarial Sciences. I have to say, every actuary I've met has n always gone and done something and been highly successful in that as well. And I think from your, when you, when you, you know, speak with partners and investors, etc., having that sort of badge of approval as well, risk mitigation is key. So I know they're going to be loving that. That's true. No, that's true. I mean, it, it does carry some weight, you yeah, know, credibility. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Awesome. No, I love getting a little bit of an understanding to the background, what makes you tick, what led you on the journey to, to where you are today. Sort of moving forward from a business perspective, we touched on it at a high level, but let's get into those different products, what the business is doing in particular, and then we can start to pick apart what's coming up next as well. So if you don't mind, maybe I'll, I'll start off again, you know, from that from that early part, right? Yeah. So when we started off the business now, going forward, once we decided we're going to be in this medical space, we needed to know where exactly we needed to fit in. So we knew that skills was a problem because there was a shortage of it. And when you start to research the, the medical field, you'll see that even today, you know, skills is a massive issue in Africa, right? Either we're not training them fast enough or whatever we have is leaving the continent. And so what that leaves then is this massive void because you've got a growing population, but you have a shrinking, well, growing population of citizens and a shrinking population of doctors or specialists or medical staff. And when we looked at the problem, we thought, okay, well, what is happening in the medical field? What happens when a doctor makes a diagnosis? They're following some type of decision path. Is it possible for us to, in some way, codify a large portion of the decision making and maybe develop it in some way that I could take a lower skilled person in the medical space, give them this tool, let's call it, we're not sure if it was software yet, and help them actually perform the function as as if a doctor would, at least for, for some type of pre-screening or, you know, general testing. And that's kind of started off that journey of thinking, all right, well, we know that AI, or actually let's not say AI, let's say mathematics is actually something that you can use to solve this, solve this issue because decision-making is a mathematical problem, right? And yes, then the next thing to think about is, you know, artificial intelligence, the, the, the kind of buzzword. Yeah, that's kind of the route that we, that we took. So we had this journey, we developed this AI. And then what we realized is, okay, well, this is great. You can be a smart guy and develop this clever software. But to have clever software used that you can diagnose things, you need digital assets. You need something that you can feed into the software that can actually process it. And what we found was in this journey of, you know, interacting with labs, etc., was that 85% of the market locally and globally is actually very analog. So if you have the smart software that supposedly you may be able to process things and you can't feed in digital assets, well, then you actually don't have a tool that can solve a problem. And so, you know, this is the other thing, you know, as you're kind of building a business, you just keep running into various types of roadblocks and you mm. either give up or you try to force through and you try to solve it. And we didn't give up. We we try to find a way to solve it. We, we looked at various types of solutions that exist in the market, tested it with pathology partners that we had at the time, and they either were too expensive to roll out en masse, they weren't good on a quality basis, and so we decided, listen, we could, we've got the biomedical engineers, we have the right partners, maybe we could develop the right thing. And so effectively, we developed what we call an enabler to the to our core business. We developed a camera that you can fit onto any microscope that allows you to then digitize what you're seeing. And then now you can feed this information into you know, the software. And that's really in those spaces where there's no 
you know, digitization. So you guys were pursuing that, uh, quote unquote, sort of partnership angle of working with established pathology players on that space. Yes. Weren't getting the traction that you were wishing to see or, or was it sort of like you're getting hard to navigate and deal with with those institutions and organizations and as such you already had this pre-existing team which was able to say hey let's pivot and let's just leave with this and we can build it out ourselves so i wouldn't say it was like a full pivot okay but what happened was it's very much as you as you say we when we started off the business before we put like lots of capital and time in we wanted to understand the space Mm -hmm. and understanding the space meant that we needed to find the right type of pathology partner so the first thing we did was actually going and talking to the pathology labs and we built relationships with some of them. We leveraged off our existing relationships. We talked to the senior people in the labs and then we got to understand what the problems they were facing. And then, and they liked the idea that we can build this artificial intelligence that can solve a massive problem that they have, which actually was the skill shortage and inconsistent results. And then as we kind of worked together on that process, we realized that, oh, hold on, you know, the, the machines that they, they need to, to process are very expensive, mm. you know. And so, yes, some of the labs have it, but that doesn't actually build a business. And we have to think about how do you build a massive business, right? Scalable. Uh, right? That's scalable. And so you, there was this, like, component that was missing, which we didn't want to develop. And we still don't call ourselves a hardware business, but very much an intelligence business but solutions focused. And this was a solution that we had to come up with, which then opens up the ecosystem. But the great thing about it, right, which going back to the question you asked me, it opened up so much of the pathology market to us because initially we were just kind of building this this pilot using software and potentially diagnosing malaria with very high accuracy. But the fact that we were able to enable the digitization process meant that we could actually apply our tech in any field where microscopy is used any field, right? We just happen to be in health space and we love that space so much it makes an impact, but equally we could pivot to to something else, right? But now because we're in the microscopy space and pathology, we found ourselves in working with the labs and they then seeing the need in the general hematology space. So that's the analysis of blood Mm. Um, because what'll happen is somebody will go to a lab in a far remote area, they'll deposit some blood samples, but now the sample needs to be shipped to a lab in a more central location, which might be over 100 kilometers far away, or maybe even more. And what could actually happen is, you know, at that location, at those smaller labs, a slide can be created. They might not necessarily have the skills to do a full diagnosis, but they'll do some type of pre-screening, and our software can then be used to digitize what they see and let a doctor somewhere else actually see either live or asynchronously what uh, that person is seeing to facilitate the diagnostic. So that can basically solve for the person who's having this diagnostic done of this blood sample or tissue sample, whatever it is, being able to get access to that doctor or specialist remotely. That's right. Interesting. That's right. And then the AI is an enhancement on top of that, right? Because now you're saying, okay, well, there's still the issue where you might not necessarily have the doctor or you want to give the doctor more information because there's so many cases being processed. And so the AI would then run through those images and then be able to say, okay, well, this is what what we're looking at. These are the classification of blood cells or the type of conditions that might be be present in a sample. So So that's blood. And then working with the labs, we then started to see more opportunities, right? Because the process of building up all of the software led us to developing a very, very robust framework and infrastructure and and part of that infrastructure has allowed us to develop AI very quickly. You know, we've got power plants to collect data, to label data, and then, you know, obviously our internal skills in, in designing the right AI. And so now we're in the hematology, so that's blood analysis, histopathology, so that's a study of tissue, but specifically within their cervical cancer screening, which is a massive problem in emerging markets, you know, which actually emerging markets sees the most, the bulk of the deaths and cases in that in that space. And the part that's very, very interesting and globally interesting, and as you mentioned, we were meant to meet in, in, in Germany for that conference, and what I was presenting there was the fertility technology yeah. because we've managed to develop a world first actually that uses our technology to assist the fertility practitioners in selecting the best quality sperm to use in the assisted reproduction process ah interesting yeah that's super interesting super interesting so yeah. those are the three sort of like specialist areas at the moment that's what that, that's kind of what we focused on that's incredible some incredible work that you guys are doing and really interested to pick 
some of that apart uh, yeah. as as we sort of move on in this conversation. But I mean, on that, sorry, just yeah, just, just to let you please. know, like I mean, those are the three. But we we often get a lot of interest from different partners that might be focused in a different space, might be a, a particular hmm. field in microbiology. But what we realized is we don't necessarily need to have all the expertise for that. So a partner with the right expertise can come to us. They can use our technology. They can, you know, operate at least from a digital pathology point of view with some of our tools and all the while collecting the requisite data that then can be fed into a pipeline and we can assist them in developing the, the AI to deploy very easily. So um, and, that's and an open a door. Tra- and you're seeing a lot of traction on that front? Because uh, yeah. that's sort of what I was curious. So we're already seeing one partner at the moment using our technology for that exact purpose. Because, you know, even if you develop AI from like an academic standpoint, how do you deploy it in the field? Well, you need some type of a framework and infrastructure. And our infrastructure allows you to actually deploy the AI. One, collect the data that you need to develop one. And then two actually use it in practice so we already are seeing that although you know we as a, as a business have our focus right and uh, we definitely very much focus right now in the histopathology space and fertility and fertility is super exciting because that's we believe to be very scalable beyond like let's say south african emerging markets yep it's a global need and but it's really exciting to hear a business started in south africa servicing emerging markets being able to go global in that in, in that sense which is great Let's talk a bit about some of the, co- the the partners and corporates and large-scale organizations that you've been working with, mm. the labs, etc. How is that? And then I guess a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested in this as well. It's like, it's, it's tough, right? Being able to navigate when you're working with big institutions as well, it's really difficult to navigate the corridors of who's who, who do I engage with? How do I get an answer quick for the right for the person that I need to be speaking with for the solution that we're looking to get set up. How have you guys found that? How do you guys navigate that? How do you go about it? It's critical for the business. So I, I imagine there was a lot of learnings as you went along, but I'm, I'm really curious to learn more about that process. Very much so. And I can tell you, it has been you know, a journey of learning. But what I can tell you now that we have like a lot of good relationships mm. is that a big corporate is a complex system, yeah. right? And a complex system, to approach a complex system is like approaching any complicated problem or situation. First principles, you know, kind of break down the organization, try and understand what does it do, what the reporting lines are, you know, how do decisions get made and what's the kind of structure. You know, if you take a pathology lab in South Africa, they're often partnerships. So it's, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a lot of different people that actually have a, a more or less equal say in kind of what happens and being able to understand how that organization works between their different divisions, who are the champions, who are the relevant people that you need to speak to becomes very important. And that's something that applies in any organization, right? Yeah, so, so any organization. And so what we did was we, we, kind of focus on building relationships as much as possible at like high level executives and because we could reach out to them through our networks at least. And then, you know, building relationships within the organization in the various verticals that we actually focused in because those are the people that would ultimately be using the product or be championing the product. And then what we do is we find a champion within the organization who's actually really excited about the future and 4IR and technology and AI and who is experiencing a massive pain point. And if you think about this, if you find that person in the business, and and it's great in the medical space because doctors are, even in a big pathology lab, they're all running small businesses within a a Mm. big business, right? It's Mm. practice. And if you can solve a pain point for them that, you know, affects their time directly, their life, their patients' lives, and you know, ultimately, you know, bottom line for a for a business, well then, you know, you can demonstrate you know, proper value to them. And I think when you're approaching these companies, approaching them with an understanding of what your value proposition is, knowing, you know, how your value proposition is actually going to affect them positively and being able to clearly articulate that to them, that's very important, right? Mm. Because you need to be thinking in two minds there. The one, the technical side as a doctor, you know, how you're going to impact lives. And then the business side, because that is a business at the end of the day, does the the risk return, does the trade-off, you know, the money that you're going to pay for this technology or the time you're going to invest actually have the right amount of payoff to the patient, but also to the business overall, you know, and what they, they're trying to achieve. So, And it's sort of that would be your message to others who are looking to sort of go down that route is A, finding that champion, and then B, clearly and um, 
easily defining what your value proposition is and how that really assists them from their sort of yeah. mandate? So I'd say just the other way around. A would be first knowing the value proposition, mm. right? And then going to find the champion because, you know, obviously when you're starting up a business, you need to know what, you, what you're starting, what problem you're trying to solve. And then as you go down this, this route, you're going to start to believe you know, what value you create for the world and for whoever you're planning to serve. And then you go and find those people, right? So, yeah. And, so, and, so it's and a nice iterative process. Yeah, and finding those people, is that has that been sort of like a, co- like a time-intensive process for you guys or has it been being able to leverage those networks and, est- and establish networks that you guys have? You've been able to get speedier access to those f- folks and you've sort of like managed to recognize what the characteristics are for that person that you're looking to find? There's a few ways of answering this question and I'll try to do my best to break it down to give as much information to ever listen to this that could help them on the journey, right? Please. So firstly, when we look at the market, like we'll start off with South Africa or any market, we try to think how was this market made up? You take a place like South Africa in the pathology space, you've got three large players that effectively make up 75% of the private pathology market, mm. okay? So actually, if you're gonna have a meaningful business in South Africa, you're going to need to be talking to those three, right, in the private space. And so we, we kind of focus on them. They're big corporate, but then we, we, we focus on them. We approach them knowing in our mind that this is actually going to take a long time because they're a big organization, right? And so we can't put all your eggs in that basket. You still need to go and say, all right, there are smaller labs and smaller businesses like in the fertility space, et cetera, that we could still approach that are much smaller. You can get quicker access to the people at the top of those labs. And at a stage of a business where we are, you're trying to get traction. You're trying to test your tech out as much as possible. You're trying mm. to get people using it. And so at the, while we're focusing on the big guys, we're also talking to smaller businesses that we could easily get access to the top. Now, we are very fortunate, or we were very fortunate, in that we could leverage of our networks to find you know, the C-levels at the big corporates, right? But for the smaller ones, we didn't know anyone. We picked up the phone, we called the labs, and we called until we found out who was the right the right doctor to speak to. And we went to go meet them, right? And it happens very quickly. Mm. And in fact, even amongst the small labs, you can build a bit of a business, right? It just takes a little bit more time. But for us at this stage of our business, you know, trying to have that user, trying to get that traction, trying to get our product into people's hands, that's very important. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of like the, the, the key things I'd say in approaching that. Yeah, hustle and perseverance. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. So there's two, I mean, but obviously try your best to leverage off the networks you have, but you're not always gonna, you're gonna go into a new market where you don't have that. So then you need to actually pick up the phone and call people. And you'll find often when you break down the markets that those big labs were actually creating the, the, the doctors who go and start up the smaller labs. And so they have relationships at the big labs. And that's actually how we got in touch with one of the, the very big labs because one of the small fertility clinics that we worked with was working with a big, one of the big majors. And he put us in touch with them because you know you could see the value that, uh, that, that would be derived. And they then, with the, with the right person within the organization, they then kind of pushed us all the way to the top. Amazing. And that led to a, a, a pilot that we, we're actually currently running with them, which is, which is great. Yeah. Fantastic, it's amazing, right? These things are very symbiotic in a way. And I think it goes back to the point that if you are building a great product that there's definitely a value proposition for in the market, you're going to get that traction and people are going to believe in it. And then there's that sort of like multiplier effect where others are like, hey, we need to have the solution. Set. 100%. But also, I mean, like, you know, the product is one thing. It's also, it's understanding any environment as a complex system, mm. right? Whatever it is, whatever business, whatever line of, of, of work it is, there's some type of a complex system with lots of interactions. And if you take this example that I was talking about, you speak to one lab who actually can introduce you to a very big lab or a key person there. It's been understanding that these people came from somewhere. They studied in one place. They worked in some, some, some part. There was some industry organization that ties them together and breaking down all of those pieces. Yes, obviously, to be able to get all of those things to work out, you need to have some value that you offer people. But, and that's what makes it complicated. And that's why, you know, I say that first principles thinking and approaching all of these problems is so important. You mentioned there as well that you guys were always with these new partners that were coming on board, testing out the new tech and trying to get the techs sorted and fitted with what they were looking for. Did that also mean that you guys were evolving the business model it's, itself as well? How how does how's that journey sort of set up? How are you guys set up today? Have you found a one size fits all, or is it very sort of targeted and specific for each solution set that you have? Yeah, so I'd say that you know building a startup in this space is 
like a massive experiment, you know, <laughs> and you, you're trying to iterate very quickly through ideas and you, you know, actually something that Founders Factory, the guys at Founders Factory, you know, taught us very well is like that having that very quick and regular interaction with these, with these clients, right? You know, to iterate through a solution or a problem, get the feedback and keep changing. And so I'd say, yeah, we evolved a lot since we start to now and we're still evolving all the time. I mean, just to give you an idea, you know, like in the blood space, it's only fairly recently, I'd say in the last, you know, couple of months that we actually were able to identify our very clear niche in the in the blood space, in the hematology space. And we fit and, and, and exactly where in the process we'd want to interject ourselves to have the maximum value and the best chance of making a, an impact. Because yes, we could apply ourselves in a high level to all the rest of the process, but there's one particular part that we had to identify that we said, oh, okay, well, you know what, this we can make a massive impact. And that takes time because you know you, you try to figure out where's your technology most effective. And then how do you tweak your technology from the feedback that you get? And then you realize, okay, you come to certain limitations. This is now the best place that you should actually be be operating. And that's where you can scale the most without, you know, again, it's risk return. How much do you have to invest and what you're going to mm. be able to get out of it? Yeah. So we've talked about a couple of different components to what's critical to building out yeah. a, a scalable startup, right? One thing we haven't talked about, or actually we haven't talked about a couple of things, and we'll get to the other in a second. But first is people. Having a great team of people is critical to any business's success. How have you gone about that? I'm curious what's what's been your learnings. I, from my understanding as well, is you're always big on people as well and creating a super cohesive workforce that is working towards a sort of collaborative solution, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Really keen to hear how you went around building a team, how that process is going, and all the learnings that you have on that front. I would love to tell you that there was <laughs> massive science. Okay, I really would. But I think there's some things in life that I was very fortunate and lucky with. I mean, I look at my founders, Man, I was blessed to have these founders, right? And this relationship came back from university. Make good uh, friends. Make good friends, you know. And, you know, and honestly, we used to party a lot, actually, you know. And that networking kind of helped. And you just never know where it leads you, right? <laughs> so so people who say don't party, well, I don't know. Yeah, it does pay off. So for my founders, I, w- I was very fortunate in that, you know, my co-founder Frando and I, we're actually best friends, you know, and we've traveled the world together. We understand each other so well. We can have very difficult conversations with each other and, you know, solve problems together. We can have disagreements and find ways of re- resolving these things, uh, which is great. It's great to have someone like that, you know, by your side and as equally with, with, with Byron, you know, a very clear thinker. And so, so that part, very blessed. And I think that people really need to spend time, you know, from the founding team, who you're going to be founding with, you're getting married to these people. So, you know, kind of taking your time and building a relationship with a person for understanding them. It might not necessarily be like a 15 year relationship like I have with my founders, but whatever that is, you do need to to have some type of a deep understanding of that person, how they think and uh, what their value systems are and what they're trying to achieve. From the team side, again, we're very fortunate, right? Very fortunate in that Frando is actually, you know, he was building a digital investment bank within our old bank that we're working with. And so he got to work with a lot of the software engineers. Mm. And what we found was working with those engineers, you know, South Africa produces actually great skills, right? Our engineers are great. But you look at fields that we're interested in, like biomedical engineering, there's not enough jobs out there to take these skills on. And so a lot of these these engineers, biomedical engineers, end up just working for a bank or working in software engineering, but their passion is still in that biomedical space. And, you know, that process for our first hires, you know, Frando had the opportunity of, of I suppose, meeting and, and seeing the kind of skill levels and, and what guys were really interested in. And those guys even said to us, they would take a pay cut to join us in doing what we're doing. And so we realize while wow, there's, there's very smart guys who are passionate about something, they wanna do this type of work in a, uh, you know, because it, it, it fulfills something deeper than them that money. And I think that was very important for us to understand very early. And it's what we've maintained with our, all of our other hires. It's you know, guys come join a startup or join our startup because we give them a blank page right, to start, you know, painting this dream and picture that they that they have in their mind, because an engineer is actually a creative, you know, in a technical way. And we don't have those types of prescriptions that you'll find in a big corporate. And so it really is a breath, breath of fresh air, in my opinion. 
And I think if you ask our staff, so so that so that helped. And I think at this stage of our business, it's been relatively easy. So having those first few engineers tapping into their network, other guys or similar types of spaces. We've also recently started an internship program, so building up the relationships with the universities. We're getting, uh, we've got graduates coming through now into our into our business who spend some time with us, you know, in their internship breaks, and that also helps us build a pipeline. Now. I can say that very comfortably for the next, let's say, 10 hires would be fine. But once our business gets a lot bigger, you know, it's a different problem to solve. And maybe you need to ask me that question again, like how <laughs> we solve it. But, but I think, I think that, that's the key. It's, it's just around finding people whose, whose passion aligns with the job, you know, and then when they come in, giving them enough freedom and blank space to, to be themselves and express their creativity. And we've seen phenomenal work from our engineers. If I tell you, you know, these guys are amazing. And that's really because, you know, they, they, they're free to express their minds the way they really want to. I love that piece about now plugging back into the universities and launching that internship program. Yeah. As you said, it's a great pipeline for bringing in that future talent. But on top of that as well, it really does show them that within within sort of the biotech, bioengineering, medical engineering space, there is a career path, right? You can be an entrepreneur too and create a highly successful, scalable business. And that's important, right? Because I found that piece where you said, everyone just ends up going and working for the bank. Yeah. Well, there's no jobs. We talk about there being a lack of skilled jobs within the medical devices space on the in the emerging markets. Well, obviously, there's something just not adding up here. So how do we do it? Well, entrepreneurship and being, you know, yeah, creating 100%. startups, which are solving those critical problems can be great for that. Exactly. And, you know, and, and I highly recommend that to guys because one, it is very difficult to start up a, a, a company like ours in South Africa because you need so many things to go right. And we don't have, I'd say, the necessary depth of funding markets, you know, that could that could support that. But when you do have it, like, and you, and you, and you do find guys who can do that, joining a company like that, could really open your mind into the various opportunities in that space. And and that's where you see the next opportunities. If you go back to what I was saying, you know, I saw the opportunity in the medical space. Yes, something that happened with my grand, but also from my work, you know, following a path, working in an industry that you're passionate about will open you, you your mind up to, to other opportunities that you could apply your skills in. You said there are things to go right, funding being critical. How has the fundraising process been? We're obviously yeah. in the depths of a, as I think people are terming it, a fundraising yeah. winter yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah. Medtech is also yeah. notoriously hard to fundraise Very for because of the R&D aspect to it. Yeah. Have you guys been finding it? Yeah, so... Have you been raising? What's yet? Yeah, we Get- have. So, so you know, uh, thankfully, when we've raised our first round, the markets were very much more frothy and things were, were, were quite different then. And we made a decision when we raised our first round not to raise too much because we, you know, obviously there's various types of uh, implications around, you know, how much you raise, how much you give up, dilution effect. And we mm-hmm. were trying to, trying to do it in a conservative manner. Fortunately, you know, from our first raise to our next raise, so we've just closed a second seed round which will... Congrats. Yeah, thank you very much. So from our previous round to now, we've hit all the milestones that we set for ourselves. In fact, we've exceeded that. We've built up more relationships. Our technology, I mean, it's crazy. When I think about what we had built and showcased to doctors and pathology labs before, I can't understand why they even wanted to partner with us, right? It's so different now. It's amazing. Like now I can say, wow, we have amazing tech, right? Back then I was telling people we have amazing tech, which is is quite different. But, uh, But it's great to see. And I think that the investors that we had currently on board continue to believe in in what we're doing and so they you know obviously uh, participated in the new round and their the new investors that came on board just loved what they saw they loved the story they loved the impact that we we can have and the progress that we've made right because ultimately at this stage of a business it's really hard for an investor to say okay this technology is going to take over the world but you you need to to back a team and and what the team's doing are they doing what they say they, mm. they 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 set out to do can you see that and i think we've managed to demonstrate that to some some extent and of course you know having a little bit of a track record and some type of a career does help so the short answer is Fortunately, it wasn't very difficult to raise funding for us in this. Which is refreshing to hear during this time, yes. Which is great, but we're not 
complacent or big-headed enough to think that that would continue forever. And so, you know, everything in how we think about the business is managed very conservatively. You know, we don't, we manage our burn rate very tightly. You know, we're cognizant of what money we spend, what's needed. We, we're very focused on right now trying to get certain products, even though they weren't core to our business, to generating revenue so we can reduce the burn rate somewhat, right? So it's all about, I think in an environment like this, you have to switch gears and you, you're saying, okay, I need to survive, right? And our goal is to get to that default alive situation. And yeah, with a survivalist mentality. Nice. Another plug for having an actuary in your team, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> Being yeah, conservative yeah, yeah. and risk mitigation, right? It's all about risk. Man. It's all about risk. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what's coming up next. Obviously, you mentioned the successful uh, second fundraising round. Again, yeah. big congrats on that during these tough times. It's amazing to hear. What's coming up next? Yeah, new so products coming out, new markets. Tell us a little bit about the next so edge growth. So this next leg is going to be very exciting for us as a business, right? Because we're now moving from a space of or what are we going to build for whom to, okay, now we have this thing. Now, how do we actually roll it out and start making some money before we try and scale? And the next few months, so 12 to 24 months is going to be largely focused on rolling out the tech that we currently have, specifically, uh, you know, the cervical cancer tool that we've developed. We've already got, you know, one of the big labs geared up to start uh, actually implementing this in practice. Our fertility tech, we make it, we've made amazing progress. We're going through a very big clinical trial process at the moment with one of the big universities back home here in, uh, well, in South Africa, a few of the labs. We started an FDA process, which we're down the line with, which is quite exciting. So I think the next phase is going to be really seeing all of those things through completion and getting our business some way to generating revenue enough to, to reduce our burn rate. I can't say, you know, you're going to completely eliminate the burn rate or, or break even, but somewhere close to that, which will demonstrate the, the relevant amount of traction that we we would like to feel comfortable that we're actually building a real business and also to the investors so that we could, you know, get to that next point where we really need to scale because then we will have all the pieces in place to allow us to build beyond that. And, and new markets as well? Yeah, for so, expansion? Mm, that's right. So we've actually been engaging with Founders Factory team, actually. No, listen, I, I mentioned them, but and I know it's your podcast, but I have to just say <laughs> it, 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 they are great, right? I mean, the team is phenomenal. We get a lot of support from, from them. And it's just nice to have that, uh, you know, they have the ex ground expertise, which, which has supported us. So, so yeah, we are looking at some some other markets within Africa with with, with Founders Factory, but beyond that, we've we've gained interest from places like you know the UK, the USA, the Middle East. So we'll start to explore these things. Obviously, we we we're not going to stretch ourselves too far. We've sold cameras and devices and and some software to these various places for people to test, but pulling the trigger on which ones we're going to be focused on will be very much dependent on the economics and the trade offs at the point in time but um, I think for now very much focused on South Africa getting it right exactly getting it right getting the money flowing in getting everything working smoothly but we never ever stop talking to people mm. right so I'd say before we started the business we had the relations with the labs we had you know if you think about us the way we started the business you'll get some companies that build a product and need to find a user or a client we actually started off with a client that was willing to give us an offtake and then we built the product. So it was, mm. you know, we started off that way. And that thinking we always have, we're always trying to find that next client because we're aware that the sales cycle in our space is quite long. And you mitigate that by always having these conversations, always keeping that pipeline quite fresh and, and, and long. And that falls on you guys or do you have like a dedicated partnerships, business development, sales team, which are always out nah. there engaging or is that down to you guys nah, as founders? Mate, we're a small start. <laughs> you know I mean? No teams yet. <laughs> Man, if you come to the office, we'll make you tea as well. So ah, we'll, we'll do everything, you know what I mean? Uh, no, but but that really falls on us. Okay. We try to be strategic though. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, we don't try and just talk to everyone. We'll try and go to an industry event. We'll be presenting there. We'll try and build up relationships. You know, I'll follow up with a few calls, try to get a few meetings in. And as long as you have that that interest, you know, get your letters of interest signed, do some demos. That's the job, you know, business development. You mentioned something there as well, the FDA process. I'm very curious about that policy regulation. Obviously, 
the healthcare sector, for obvious reasons, has a lot of regulation mm. around it. Means again, at a time in trying to navigate that, we know that AI is in, in the headlights at the moment as well on this front. How have you guys been dealing with that? Do you do any work around policy plays? Yeah. What's the focus there? Very relevant, especially in the health space. So the way we approach this is we try to understand what you need from a regulatory point of view. You know, when you go into the health space, there's going to be some regulatory hurdles. And with research, you find that obviously, well, fortunately, again, we went in Africa and South Africa. And at the time when we started, there was no established framework to define what an AI medical device is, right? And what those services are. And so we, we went down a path where we got the relevant regulatory approvals in place to be able to operate within South Africa. But it, it wasn't as onerous as something like the FDA. And when you're starting up a business, if you can, right, and you do your research, you'll find that there are actually a lot of countries in the world that don't have established medical device regulations where you can actually go in. And what happens there is it's a bit more like industry control, right? So mm. a doctor needs to be able to vet something, do his own validations before they, they go and use it. And so you find those markers, it becomes a, a lot easier to at least get that initial traction. The FDA start thinking, you know, well, the FDA process, that thinking starts off because we know we have a product that works, mm. right? And we know that there's, there's demand internationally, but to sell in those international markets, especially the high value markets where we can really scale, you need to have these certain credentials and, and, and certifications. And so so that's where we start to focus on because it's very expensive. It's very, very onerous, time consuming process. But it is that stamp of approval, right? Which is critical. hundred percent, hundred percent, you know, in the markets where it's relevant. Yeah, yeah. Because if you have an FDA process, you come to South Africa, I can tell you now, the doctors are still going to want to run their own validation tests, run their own thing, because the South African medical field is actually, despite them not having the same, you know, medical device regulation, yes, it's it's building up to them, they're aligning it to what they call MDR in, in Europe. The, the, the doctors are very well trained and conservative for the right reasons, you know, so they really want to validate what, what happens. And that works in our advantage, because you can go to the doctors and you can actually work with them, and they'll go through a very rigorous quality control testing validation process will effectively result in some type of industry paper. Hopefully that FDA process goes quickly and Amen. smoothly for you guys, yeah, and it's not too so much too. of a, yeah. a time constraint, because yeah. there's many other big things to be doing as well. 100%, huh? but, but look, I mean, that's why, that's why you try try to, you know, split kind of your focus, yeah. you know, it, it goes back to, you know, some things are going to be taking long. You can't put all your hopes in this because it, it's time and time for us is burn, burn rate and that's our survival. So we do try to separate it and see where we can actually get to market much faster. Away from work, obviously being a founder is quite intensive, always on, never off. Do you ever switch off? How do you, if you do, what do you, you know, do? It's so funny you asked me this question because I was literally having this this conversation with my co-founders the other day and we're saying it is actually quite hard to switch off, right? Even you know, what we try to do in our team is we just say, you know, take your leave when you feel you need your leave, however long that needs to be, you know, but then just switch off your phone and just go away. We'll handle everything and we try to do that. Mm. But controlling the person themselves, you know, so we can take some things off your plate. But I find, and, and, and my, my partners find the same thing, you know, you might be sitting on a beach, but your mind is ticking over this thing. And I think it's just really a function of the type of people we are and where we are as a business, you know, and what we're trying to get right. It's not something I can say is very easy to balance, you know, but, we, but that's why you need to have your distractions, you know, for them, it's maybe your wife, it's your kids, it's having some type of hobby that's, that interacts. I know my co-founder Byron, he, or Prof Byron, he does a lot of rock climbing, you know, which, which helps him, you know, kind of stay. Great to switch yeah, off. Yeah, great to switch off. But still you know. problem solving in a way. Yeah, I like yeah, that, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah, can never yeah. shake it off too exactly. much. Exactly, <laughs> but you know, now, now you're high up somewhere, you know, you can't really think about the business, you've got to think about, you yeah. know, either getting up or getting down. So, so I mean, he, he does that. I mean, we all have little various types of hobbies. I, you know, I ride motorcycles or I'll go surfing or, you know, whatever I can do. Same story with, uh, with Frando. So I, I think it's just finding something yeah. that can distract you, that can give you some some joy and just use a different part of your brain. Yeah. You know, have that, that release valve. Right? That's it. That's it. You know, you, I don't think it's fair to expect yourself or even to believe that you're going to fully switch off and stop thinking about your business. If you can, I'm, I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing necessarily. Maybe it is. But, you know, at this stage of the business, sometimes those, those breaks away, you come back and you think, oh, 
uh, there's a problem that I've just managed to solve. It's funny because uh, there's numerous instances with work where you're away from work doing something which you're switching off in and your best sort of insight comes to you and you're like, yeah. oh, that's something yeah, that I yeah. should be implementing when I go back to the office tomorrow, you know? Yeah, um, so it is right. It is balance is key, right? Balance is yeah, key. Yeah, it's about balance. But and, and again, you know, not being too hard on yourself because, I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about all this work-life balance and you try, you do your best you can, you know, and, and I think with, with the different situations and it's important to have a supportive team. I think that's the key, yeah. right? Because we, we understand each other's needs, each other's lives, each other's family situation. And so... We, we, we support. And before we go, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Outside of med tech, outside of health tech, is there any bit of innovation, tech innovation, which is super exciting you at the moment? What yeah, do you got your man, eyes on? There's so what, much. Right? There's so much. You know, I think for me, for the longest time in my life, I always, you know, thought, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that we should actually be investing money in is be, before everything else is, is computing power, you know. Yeah. And I think the, the progress that's been made in quantum computing, I think, is, is very exciting. That's, you know, because that'll open up a whole different world, you know, from in every field of our lives right now and our digital lives actually become affected by by that and in, in, in including our own company right and and what we'd be able to do when that come when that comes right something else uh, very recently i think was that um that was alkane 99 yep. was it right the superconductive materials i think that's mind-blowing mind-blowing yeah, <laughs> yeah mind-blowing i mean obviously if, if it works you know people are, are all scrambling now to to either replicate or or, or kind of push that bat forward but that will be a, a significant leap forward in uh you know technologically for us as a as, as, a, as a world, as a nation, a society, because it just opens up so much more in the technological field, right? I mean, I'd say AI, but we're in that space, you know, I, I think I'm always just fascinated by the new applications and, and, you know, how far actually AI is progressing. But I mean, outside of that, you know, I'd say quantum computing and the supercomputer superconductivity is very exciting to me. All right, all right. So we know where you're going to be putting your money in the future. Yeah. Uh, Iffy, I think if I had more time, this discussion would run on and on and on and on. Thank you so much for joining us on the Factory Founder podcast today. It's been great listening to you, hearing about your and Vitruvian MD's journey to date, what's coming up next, all the exciting innovations that you guys have been working on and importantly, the critical problems that you guys are looking to solve. It's been amazing getting that insight and looking forward to seeing you back here very soon and hearing all of the updates with everything that we spoke about. Ify, thanks very much. Thanks so much, George. Thanks for the time and I really do hope we get to chat again soon. And obviously, if everyone wants to keep up to date with the journey, reach out to you, how do they do that? You know, directly. You can reach out to me on mail, iftika.shake at vitruvianmd, but also on our website, www.vmd.ai. Also our LinkedIn page, so vitruvianmd on LinkedIn. We're very responsive. We'd love to hear you guys reach out to us and, you know, obviously join the journey. So, yeah. Awesome. Listeners, that's your call to action. Do reach out and, and touch base with Ify. And with that, this is The Factory, building in Africa. Ify Sheikh has been the founder on the show. Thank you for joining us. And until next time. <laughs>